I love how stealthy the Lord is. Heralded by a few insiders like Micah, the great I am came on tiptoe, hidden behind a mask of human skin, sliding into the world through a slip of a girl named Mary. Breathless in her expectation, she and her cousin Elizabeth magnified the Holy One who arrived at a locale least expected through a family hailing from a humble city of no particular repute. Security for his people, sewn into the pocket of his heart. Peace is the great gift he brings, a strange trade for sins confessed. Yes, this Lord of ours is a mystery. Castles and senate chambers are not where you'll find him. He lives in the souls he has harvested for heaven, a kingdom where love rules, not the politics of power. Look around. The beloved is here, hidden as always in plain sight, waiting to be magnified by us. Micah 5, verses 2 through the first half of verse 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. <clears throat> At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and his, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. The reading of the Lord. The fourth Sunday of Advent is considered the Sunday of peace. And as brethren in Christ, we're supposed to be really good at that. But there's a problem. In order to talk about peace, we have to acknowledge the other P word. We have to acknowledge power. We have to be able to talk about the realities of power in our lives and what they do to us. Power, however, is, in my experience, an upside-down commodity. Uh, the most powerful person I know is not somebody who flies around in a great big jet or commands armies. The most powerful person I know is Debbie Tessman Wright. <laughs> because that person can make me do whatever she wants done. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw her at her, uh, I, I never understood that power uh, until uh, I saw her giving birth to our children. And I understood the power that women have that men can only, well, we don't wish we dreamed we had that power, we, but, but we wish we had that power without going through that process. We'd like a shortcut. The power of a woman to give birth, to create life in her body, and to bring it into the world. Uh, slowly, in the case of our daughter, who took 23 hours of labor, or quickly, in the case of our son, who literally came flying out, and the doctor whose hands were here ended up here uh, trying to catch him. Uh, there's an amazing power that is an upside-down power, that is a power that we, don't, that we don't fully understand or appreciate. And it's the power that Micah talks about in chapter 5. You see, when men... Think of childbirth. Before it happens, they fear it. And they just know they're going to be yelled at and berated, and, and it's going to be an unpleasant experience. But what really happens, what we remember, is this amazing new life that comes out with her eyes wide open or comes out barely being able to be caught by the doctor. And the prophet Micah, who writes in a time contemporaneous to uh, Isaiah, writing before the exile, writing before society collapses, realizes that the people of God are going to have to go through birth pangs. 
They are going to have to go through a painful process to get to the authentic peace that they seek. Israel's aspirations were no different than any other peoples of the ancient Near East. They wanted, they wanted to live in peace, in quiet, in their villages with families and neighbors and friends, growing, planting, harvesting, giving birth and burying, going through the, the, the life that we aspire to. But Israel lived in the crossroads of superpowers. And because they were in the crossroads of superpowers, they were often in the crosshairs of superpowers. And armies marching through the post-Davidic kingdoms of Judah and Israel were not uncommon sights. And Micah says... Bethlehem, you tiny little city village out here beyond Jerusalem, down the hill. Bethlehem, something great's going to happen. Don't, don't be afraid of the future, Bethlehem. There, there will come a time when the memory that you have of David's greatness, of this, of this once idyllic kingdom that you were a part of, there will come a time when it will be lost to you. That it, will, that it will vanish. But a new David will arise. A new David will be born. It will be painful. But a new David will be born. And that new David will bring everything we call shalom. Everything we call peace. Not just the absence of conflict but a new whole life, rich with meaning and purpose, rich with joy. Look forward to that, Bethlehem, in the midst of all the other stuff going on. And even today, stuff goes on in Bethlehem. I've been to Manger Square, and... It is a place remarkable in its peace and its tension. It's remarkable in its sense of commerce and holiness. It's a place where if you walk down the wrong street, a shopkeeper is going to grab you by the shoulder and haul you into his shop and beg you to buy something. Because you look like an American, therefore you have money, and our economy is falling apart because we live under occupation. So please buy anything. And you reach for your MasterCard because you want to help. Even today, Bethlehem waits with birth pangs for peace, for shalom to come. But 800 years before Jesus, the prophet Micah reminded this little village that there will be turmoil ahead, there will be pain ahead, but there will be a new David. And there will be shalom that comes. 800 years after Micah wrote that, a little teenage girl, pregnant through 
circumstances unbecoming. It wasn't her husband because she wasn't married yet. So she did what girls in that time did. They, they went off to auntie and had a big chunk of her pregnancy there. And when Mary walks through the door of Zechariah and Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth, who had just herself given birth to a child in an improbable way as an older woman and her husband quiet throughout the entire pregnancy. Can you imagine what an easy pregnancy that must have been to have the man not able to speak the entire time you're pregnant? That just must have been such a gift from God. And Elizabeth begins to praise Mary for her faithfulness. You have been faithful to God's call, Mary. Great things will happen. And Mary, teenage, pregnant, from the wrong side of the wrong side of the tracks. From up north in Galilee, where they don't quite worship as well as we do down here near Jerusalem. From probably the poorer side of town, because she's getting betrothed to an older guy who... So this wasn't a perfect match made in heaven. This young woman begins to make these sweeping statements. This child I'm going to bear is going to bring down kings and is going to change the way we think about the world. We call Mary's song the Magnificat because she begins with, My soul blesses the Lord. Magnificat is the first word in Latin in her song. God is to be praised because things are not going to be the way they've always been because of this child I bear. And Mary calls anyone listening to action. It's a call to praise. And then she makes a deliberate reach back into her past and remembers the great story and call to Jubilee. Jubilee is one of those parts of the Old Testament that we don't read very much about because it's buried in one of our favorite Old Testament books, Leviticus. And unless you've had to take a class in Leviticus, you've probably not spent a lot of time in it. But in Leviticus 25, there is this curious call where God says, listen, every so often... We're going to take everybody who's had to sell their land in order to keep on living, and we're going to give it back to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Adam Smith is now turning over in his grave. This is not capitalism. Anybody who tells you the Old Testament proves capitalism hasn't read the Old Testament. Anybody who says the Bible is about market-driven economics hasn't read the Bible because it's kingdom-driven economics. And in God's kingdom, no one is to go without. We are to share the stuff that God gave us because you know what? 
it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. We just get to use it while we're alive. And if we amass too much, we get to give it back. That's biblical economics. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable or offends you, I'm sorry, but that's what Leviticus says. Now, we can blow off Leviticus, and maybe we do, but biblical economics challenges challenges me and my tendencies to hoard and try to control and try to claim for myself the stuff I want. Jubilee says you got to give it back because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And every so often, you need to just give it back. Yeah, I don't want to either. But Mary reaches back to that part of the Old Testament and, and essentially says in her Magnificat, a day of Jubilee is coming. A day is coming when God will reorder things. And those who have been on top will be brought down and those who have been made low will be exalted. concept of Jubilee was that everyone that had been indebted was then released from that debt and able to start over again by having their land returned to them. Imagine what our lives would be like as wealthy, middle-class people, as the 2% on the planet. If we began to give away our stuff to those other 98% who don't have as much. Well, there you go. That from our budding socialist, Isla Barnes. And so, the days are coming, and they may already be here, when that institutional, unilateral power that we think of as power will be entirely defeated and relational power will make way for the way of peace. In other words, folks, the fourth Sunday of Advent teaches us that better days are coming. That whatever, whatever, you, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever, whatever distress and difficulty, better days are coming. Not out of a cheerful, optimistic, happy days are here again. Or because somebody's political, uh, political platform is going to usher in the millennium. But because God's at work. Creating in us, in His people, the impulse towards Jubilee. To become people who radically give away stuff because of Jesus. And so, my brothers and sisters, just a word of heads up here. Uh, power isn't a swear word. We treat it like that in the church. Oh, we don't want to talk about power. One of the, one of the things I heard over and over again in my Mennonite formation as a seminarian was, 
if you're going to exercise power, you're going to have to do it covertly because churches don't like powerful preachers. Well, that may be true. And, and there may be good reasons not to like powerful preachers. I mean, after all, I haven't asked for a jet yet or anything, but... But I also see the offering totals, so I know the jet's not forthcoming anytime soon. We'd be lucky to get a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably get a unicycle and be told, just ride it, it's good for you. But that's not the kind of power I'm talking about. Not that unilateral power that grasps and controls and orders and directs, but that relational power, that sense of organizing life together in such a way that we do jubilee. You see, it's hard for me as an individual, as one person, to share my stuff and feel like that's a good thing. Because I've just given my stuff away. I've just, I've just given, I've given away my stake in the great poker game of life. Which means I could get a great set of cards next and I'm not going to win anything because I've given it all away. But when I team up, when we together begin to practice a lifestyle of jubilee, of generosity, of shalom, then things begin to change in our lives together. That's the kind of power I'm talking about. Relational power. Where we organize our lives together in such a way that we accomplish God's call. Unilateral power at the end of the road is nothing but pain. Even for the ones who exercise unilateral power because ultimately in God's economy they are brought down low. The great lessons of Scripture and Shakespeare are that if you have power in Act 1, you lose in Act 3. But relational power is concerned with shalom, concerned with peace, with right relationships, with wholeness in our life together, building community that's transparent and accountable and loving and not perfect. Nowhere near perfect. But in the struggle together to figure out how to live godly lives. To do this, Micah said, you've got to remember the past but break with it. David was a great king. Yeah, Bethlehem. But you know what? David's gone. And you're going to need to forget about those good days and remember them, but look forward to what God is going to do. And Mary would have to realize that although society would paint her a certain way, God was at work literally in her, transforming her life into the bearer, the Savior of the world. And so we are called to a relational power that is jubilee-based, that is upside-down, that is the kingdom of God.
Micah's text that we read on the fourth Sunday of Advent and the Magnificat conspire together to sketch out in, in, the, in the faintest of details the kingdom of God is coming. Get ready. Prepare yourselves for the Prince of Peace in our midst. So this morning, some questions for reflection. If you knew that peace was a certainty, if you knew it was a guaranteed thing, how would your everyday life be different? Most of us react out of fear of the future. We don't know what's going to happen next. And so we take steps to protect ourselves. But if you knew the outcome, if you knew the end of the story, if you'd read the back page of the novel and the butler did it, not you, if you knew that peace was a certainty, a guarantee, how would your life be different? And what would be different about the way you would act in your life? Secondly, what is it about the biblical concepts of jubilee in Leviticus that might offend us? Sharing our stuff to people who have gotten themselves in debt doesn't sound very responsible. What are some of the concepts there that might offend us? But more importantly, why do they offend us? Do they offend us because perhaps it means we give of ourselves in ways that we aren't used to? And then thirdly, just an image. Are you pregnant with peace in this season or prone to violence? Are you full of this new life of shalom? Or is your propensity to throw up the defenses, to push back, to create barriers. Good. (laughs) And so this morning, one more thing from uh, the Christian writer and pastor Matt Capps. He says, as Christians... We are not so much focused on what the world is coming to, but on who has come into the world. If we focus on what the world is coming to, we will get defensive. We will live with unilateral power. We will will attempt to keep the world at bay. We will push back. But if we focus on who has come into the world, we can let our defenses down. We can share our stuff. We can find shalom. Amen.